You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here on this Taco Tuesday. Another week, another show with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. We should follow Wise Guys Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. We had a great NFL week three. Aaron Rodgers outlasted Tom Brady 14 to 12 in Tampa, Florida at Raymond James Stadium. We're talking about the Packers and Buccaneers first here in a bit. Also, later on in the show, I got a special guest that's going to be on the show. It's Yanni Caracas. He's going to be talking to me about the Dolphins Bengals Thursday night matchup on Thursday night football on Amazon Prime Video. It's going to be live here in the city of Cincinnati at Paycar Stadium. Tua versus Joe Burrow. Elite Dolphins defense versus the elite off Bengals offense. I'm excited about it. I can't wait for that matchup. Man, it's going to be a great matchup. Two young coaches, Zach Taylor, Mike McDaniels. So I'm excited for that matchup in the jungle Thursday night. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Who do you believe is going to come out on top in Thursday night's matchup? Dolphins or Bengals primetime AFC matchup early in the season that could have major, major playoff implications as the season goes along. So excited about that matchup. Also, later on the show, I'm going to talk about the Denver Broncos as they beat the San Francisco 49ers 11 to 10. It was an ugly game on Sunday night football. And also, I'm going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Should Mike Tomlin make a change at quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. All that and much more tonight on the Wise Guy Sports Show. And also tonight, the question of the day, we got two 3-0 teams left in the NFL. It's the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC and the Miami Dolphins in the AFC. Which team actually has the potential to make a Super Bowl run? Is it the Eagles or the Dolphins? That was the Wise Guy's question of the day. And right now, it's the Eagles. I, I put this question up last night, and the Eagles are leading. They, they, it's, it's 100% Eagles right now that everyone has voted as the team that actually has the best potential to go on a Super Bowl run over the Dolphins. Y'all can still go on Wise Guys' Twitter page and vote on which team is most likely to go on a Super Bowl run. Is it the Eagles? Is it the Dolphins? Let me know. Wise Guys Sports Talk Radio getting it started today we're gonna go to the nfc we had a big time matchups between two legendary quarterbacks and aaron Rodgers and tom brady the packers beat the buccaneers 14 to 12 aaron Rodgers, he went 27 of 35 he threw for 255 
passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Romeo Dobbs had the best game of his young career. He had eight receptions, 73 receiving yards, one touchdown. And for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady, he went 31 of 42. He threw for 271 passing yards, one touchdown. In this game, Chris Godwin was out, Julio Jones was out, and Mike Evans was suspended for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, obviously, coming into this game, we all knew that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were going to be without their top three receivers in Mike Evans, who was suspended for his altercation involving Marshawn Lattimore in the matchup the previous week with the Bucs and the Saints. So we knew Evans was suspended. We knew Chris Godwin was also going to be out in this game because he's injured right at the moment. And also Julio Jones, he's been dealing with the nagging injury as well. He didn't practice at all the week of the Packers-Bucks matchup. So we knew it was a great possibility that Tom Brady was going to be without his top three weapons in this marquee matchup against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And so in the immediate aftermath, of the Packers beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. I got on Twitter. I was on Facebook. And so I saw a bunch of people making so many excuses for Tom Brady. And then I woke up and I watched my sports shows like I always do every morning. I watched First Take. I watched Undisputed with Skip and Shannon. You know, on First Take, you got Stephen A. You got Michael Irvin on Mondays. And sometimes Keyshawn Johnson appears on First Take as well. But one of the key takeaways was Skip Bayless. He was on Undisputed, a show on FS1. And shout out to Skip and Shannon. I love Undisputed. I love Skip as a sports journalist. Got a lot of respect for Skip because Skip has, has been in the sports broadcasting industry for a very long time. And he is amazing, amazing at his job. He does a great job working for Fox Sports. But all I heard from Skip Bayless Monday morning, on Undisputed, when they were discussing Packers, Bucks, all I heard from Skip Bayless was a bunch of excuses for Tom Brady. He actually went on air, talked about how Tom Brady didn't have his top three weapons to distribute the football to. And Skip Bayless explained that Tom Brady had to throw to Rasul Gage, Rashad Perriman, Jalen Darton. These are receivers that were that Tom Brady had to throw to. And honestly, for me, listening to Skip give all these excuses for Tom Brady, it made me think about what Aaron Rodgers has to go through on a week-to-week basis. Now, everyone's talking about when Aaron Rodgers had his full complement of receivers. But coming into the season, I saw... Many experts who talk NFL who said that the Packers have the worst receiving core in the NFL. So Tom Brady, Sunday afternoon in Tampa, in a marquee matchup against Aaron Rodgers, he got a taste of what Aaron Rodgers is going through on a week-to-week basis. Because if we look at this thing in totality, what Sunday's game told me was Tom Brady is loaded. His team is significantly better than Aaron Rodgers' team. Mike Evans, 
one of the best wide receivers that we have in the NFL, Julio Jones, a Hall of Fame receiver, and Chris Godwin, one of the best receivers in the NFL at his best. Those are the weapons that Tom Brady has on a week-to-week basis to throw the football to. Who does Aaron Rodgers have to throw the football to? An unproven Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson? An unproven number one receiver in Alan Lazard? A receiver in Randall Cobb who father time has caught up with? That's who Aaron Rodgers has to throw to on a week-to-week basis. And Tom Brady got a dose of what Aaron Rodgers has to deal with every single week. There's not one receiver right now on the Packers roster that if they went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they wouldn't even be a top three receiver on that Buccaneers team. Not one player on the Packers receiving core would be a a top three receiver on the Bucs team right now. Not Alan Lazard, not Randall Cobb, not Romeo Dobbs, not Christian Watson, not Sammy Watkins, not Amari Rodgers. There is not one receiver that the Green Bay Packers currently have that would be top three on the Bucks' depth chart right now. So Sunday's game, my biggest takeaway was Tom Brady's team is loaded and Tom Brady's Bucks are significantly more talented than Rodgers' Packers. And for me, if Aaron Rodgers leads this Packers team to the NFC Championship game and possibly the Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers would creep his way into that top three quarterback of all time conversation because the weapons that Aaron Rodgers has to distribute the football to, they are below average. Below average. So I love Tom Brady. Tom Brady is one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, he's the most accomplished quarterback in NFL history. He's won seven Super Bowls, multiple NFL MVPs on his resume, multiple passing records. He's number one in. But Tom Brady's Bucks are loaded. That Bucks team is loaded. And then you look at that defense. Defensively, Tampa Bay, they got Devin White. They got Levante David. You got Mike Edwards. You got Antoine Whitfield at safety. You got Dean as well in your your defensive backfield. And then up front, you got Vita Vea. The last few years, they had Indomitian Sioux. This Tampa Bay Buccaneers team is loaded. There is no excuses for Tom Brady to lose football games with this loaded team. They are loaded. And Aaron Rodgers is not dealing with the full deck like Tom Brady is. But in this game, despite his one interception, Aaron Rodgers outplayed Tom Brady. Now, what this game also showed me was this is the reason why Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are both legendary quarterbacks. Because neither quarterback had elite weapons to throw the football to. And they both had over 250 passing yards for the game. So I'm going to also... Explain the, the other part for, for Tom Brady and the positive. And the, mo- the one positive for me is this game proved to me why Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are two of the top five quarterbacks of all time.
without elite weapons, they both had over 250 passing yards. So those are my biggest takeaways from the game. Offensively, for the Bucks, the first three games, they've been awful. They've been awful. They've only scored three touchdowns in three games. That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Only, they haven't scored yet over 20 points. They scored 20 points in the week two win over the Saints. But that's it. They scored 19 points against the Cowboys in week one. And they scored 12 in week three. They haven't scored 21 points yet. So this Buccaneers offense, they're not playing at an elite level right now. They are struggling. They are struggling. And the only team who has the same amount of touchdowns as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the Dallas Cowboys. That's it. So, again, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not the, the same elite offense that we're used to seeing like we've been seeing in previous years. In this game, their defense did everything they possibly could for this team to win this game. They gave up 14 points in the first half to Aaron Rodgers, but in the second half, the defense led by Ty Bowles, they didn't give up a single point. So the Buccaneers' defense did their job. They did their job in this game. Now, for the Packers, offensively, I believe the Packers' offense played at an elite level in the first half. Second half, not so much. Didn't even put up three points in the second half. They struggled to move the ball against that stout Bucks defense. But the key pivotal moment in this game was Aaron Jones' fumble because if Aaron Jones scores a touchdown and the Packers go up 21-3, I believe that we would have the recipe for a blowout. I think the Packers would have blew out the Bucks because Tom Brady was struggling to move the football down the field. So that, that, that fumble by Aaron Jones in the second quarter was the pivotal turning point of the game. And I was upset with Aaron Jones initially when he fumbled. But then I saw that Vita Vea laid a hit on Aaron Jones. I'm like, eh, I can't really be too mad at Aaron Jones. I mean, I mean, Aaron Jones is small as it is. He's, he's a small running back, and Vita Vea is, is huge. I mean, I, I said it last week on the show. I think with his full strength, I think Vita Vea might be able to move a car, like slightly. Not slight, not all the way, but slightly. That brother is strong. So I, I couldn't even be too mad at Aaron Jones for fumbling in that moment. Because I was mad, like, man, we about to go at 21-3. We about to have an 18-point lead on Tom Brady. They ain't coming back from 18. They ain't coming back from being down 18. And then Aaron Jones fumbles, but I saw that Vita Vea laid a hit on Aaron Jones. And I'm like, okay, I, I would have fumbled too. I would have fumbled too. So I give Aaron Jones a pass for fumbling in that moment. But that was the last time that the Packers had an opportunity to put up points. After that, that Buccaneers defense, they tightened up, and they made things hard on Aaron Rodgers in the Packers offense. They really, really did. So I thought this game was about the two defenses, the Packers defense. They were sensational as well. I'm going to give them credit. Everyone's talking about the receivers that were out. Still got to get a Packers defense credit. Because the Packers defense, when they had to make a play, the Vondre Campbell, the linebacker for the Packers, he made a play on that two-point conversion. I'll be honest. Seeing how Tom Brady has had so many game-winning drives in his career, when the Buccaneers were driving on that final possession, I already knew they were going to score. I was just hoping that the Packers could stop the Bucs on the two-point attempt. That was what I was thinking. I said, 
They're going to get into the end zone. It's just a matter of if the Packers can stop them when they attempt their two-point try. And Devondre Campbell did just that, getting his fingertips on Tom Brady's pass attempt on the two-point try. So I was impressed with the Packers' defense. They, they got after Tom Brady in this game. I thought they did a great job applying pressure. The Packers' defense, they had three sacks in this game. Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, you know, Kenny Clark. They did a great job applying pressure on Tom Brady in this game. And, again, the Bucs were not at full strength, and the Packers were at full strength. And I believe the Bucs are the more superior team. But this also tells me that Aaron Rodgers, at this point in his career, can do more with less than Tom Brady can. So, again, I love Tom Brady. He's one of the all-time greats, seven-time Super Bowl winner, multiple NFL MVP winner. But that Buccaneers team is loaded. And the Buccaneers not reaching the NFC Championship game would be a disappointment for this team. They are loaded top to bottom. But the Packers, they're they coming along too. They're coming along. Everyone was panicking, and they were – you know, frustrated after the week one loss to the, the Vikings. Packers beat the Bears in week two. I'm not going to brag about beating the Bears. Packers always beat the Bears. It's Justin Fields. It's the Bears. That's that's not a major win. But beating the Buccaneers and Tampa, even without their top three receivers, is a major win for the Green Bay Packers. And the narrative after the game was, this is going to be the last time that we see Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady face off against one another, I disagree. Prior to the season, my NFC championship was the Packers at Bucks at Raymond James Stadium for the rights to go to the Super Bowl in Arizona. So I don't believe this is going to be the last time that we see Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. I think we're going to get it one more time, but this time it'll be in the NFC championship game. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. Don't forget, I'm going to have on the show Yanni. He's a reporter down there in Miami, covers the Miami Dolphins. He's going to come on the show and preview Dolphins, Bengals, the Thursday night primetime matchup on Amazon Prime. Can't wait for that matchup. He's going to come on the show in a bit and talk about that game. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys. No sports. Let's transition to another marquee matchup over the weekend. It was an AFC East battle in Miami. The Miami Dolphins improved to 3 and 0 on the season as they beat the Buffalo Bills who are now 2 and 1, 21 to 19 for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen had another great afternoon. He went 42 of 63, threw for 400 passing yards, two touchdowns, 47 rushing yards for the Dolphins tour. He went 13 of 18, he threw for 186 passing yards, 79 total QBR. And Jalen Waddle had a great game for the Dolphins. He had four receptions, 102 receiving yards. So, question here is, are the Dolphins on the same level as the Bills? And I have to be honest, 
after watching this matchup between the Dolphins and the Bills, I believe it is safe to say that the Miami Dolphins are on the same level as the Buffalo Bills. Coming into the season, I had the Buffalo Bills winning the AFC East, but I also picked the Miami Dolphins to be a playoff team. I thought the free agent moves that they made in the offseason, bringing in Cedric Wilson from Dallas, bringing in Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostart to solidify that backfield, bringing in new head coach Mike McDaniels, and also trading for Tyreek Hill. I said the Miami Dolphins are a playoff team in the AFC. And as stacked as the AFC is, I said the Dolphins will be a playoff team in the AFC because offensively, they have no weaknesses. You got Tyreek Hill. You got Jalen Waddle, one of the best receiving tandems that we have in the NFL. In the backfield, you got Edmonds. You got Mozart. And then at quarterback, you got Tua, who is serviceable. No, Tua is not elite like Mahomes, like Rodgers, or Brady, or Burrow, or Herbert but he's serviceable. So you can win games with Tua. The only question mark that we had was Tua. Now I'm going to get to him in a bit. But I thought that the reason why the Miami Dolphins were able to beat the Buffalo Bills Sunday afternoon in Miami was because of their defense. And I want to give some credit to the defense for the Miami Dolphins. And their defense is led by Josh Boyer, he is a defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. I got to give Josh Boyer a lot of credit because he had this defense playing at an elite level Sunday. Because if you only get if if you only give up 19 points to the Buffalo Bills, that's impressive. Now they did give up close to 500 yards, but I thought the Miami Dolphins at key moments in this game they made plays. When they had to. And I thought the Bills offense was sloppy. But some of that was because of the Miami Dolphins pressure. That they applied on. The Buffalo Bills. Defensively for the Dolphins. They got four sacks. So they got to Josh Allen four times. So if you get to Josh Allen. You can maybe make him a little passive in the pocket. Throw off the rhythm of that elite Bills offense. And I thought that was what the Miami Dolphins did in this game. Now, this game also showed me how elite the Buffalo Bills offense is because despite Josh Allen being sacked four times, the Bills still almost had 500 total yards for the game. They still they still almost had 500 total yards for the game, and Josh Allen still had 400 passing yards. So Josh Allen is elite. The Buffalo Bills offense is elite. But I have to show some love to that Miami Dolphins defense. Defensively, you got Jerome Baker. You got Javon Holland. You still got Zadavian Howard at cornerback. I like this Dolphins defense, what they've been able to do the first three weeks of the season. Now, they did give up 38 points to Lamar Jackson in week two. But besides that, I think this Dolphins defense has been impressive so far this season. They really, really have. And coming into the season, I knew the offense would play at a high level. I had questions about their defense. And I think so far this season, their defense has shown that they can get after the quarterback and they can 
make plays at key moments in games. In this game, the Bills, they fumbled the ball four times. They only lost the ball. They only lost one fumble, though. But the way the Dolphins were able to win this game, the Bills, they dominated time of possession. Bills dominated time of possession 42-19. to 19. So the Dolphins didn't have the ball much. So they had to win this game with their defense. And I thought they did an outstanding job because they were on the field for a very long time. And you look at the statistics in this game, Bills had more first downs than the, than the Dolphins. Bills were better on third down than the Dolphins. Bills were better on fourth down than the Dolphins. Bills had more rushing yards than the Dolphins. Bills had more passing yards than the Dolphins. Bills had more total yards than the Dolphins. But I believe the game was won because the Miami Dolphins defensively, they were able to get to Josh Allen four times. I thought the defense did a great job stepping up at key moments. And so, again, at the beginning of the season, I picked the Bills to run away with the AFC East. I was wrong. This is going to be a battle in the AFC East. It's going to be a battle. I'm not sure that the Buffalo Bills are going to be able to win this division. I think it's going to be a battle all the way through. So, yes, I am a believer in the Miami Dolphins. I'm a believer. Now, Robert Griffin III, earlier this morning on Get Up, he said that he believes that the Miami Dolphins are not only the best team in the AFC, but the best team in the NFL. I'm not going to go that far yet. They're a top five team right now in the NFL, but I'm not going to go that far to say that they are the best team in the NFL because I've been very, very impressed with the Philadelphia Eagles. I've been impressed with the Green Bay Packers the last few weeks, but for the Dolphins to be able to beat this Bills team, this is their signature win of the season so far. It's early, but this is their signature win. But even in week two, I, now that I think about it, in week two, their impressive come-from-behind victory in Baltimore. Remember, going into the fourth quarter in Baltimore, the Ravens, they were beating the Dolphins 35-14. to 14. So Lamar Jackson, in that game, played at an elite level, and the Ravens had their way with the Dolphins the first three quarters of that game. But the Dolphins, they show resiliency, and they are a resilient football team overall. They, they, they didn't give up, and they came back, and they outscored the Ravens 28-3 in week two. Dolphins outscored the Ravens 28-3 in the fourth quarter, and they won 42-38, to trailing 35-14 to going into the fourth quarter. So you can make an argument for that game being their signature win of the season. They've had two back-to-back -back great wins the Miami Dolphins have over the Ravens and over the Bills, two elite teams. In the AFC. These are two teams that I picked in the AFC to make the playoffs as division winners. I had the Ravens winning the AFC North, and I had the Bills winning the AFC East. And the Miami Dolphins beat both of those teams in back-to-back -back weeks in impressive, in an impressive fashion. They did it in impressive fashion. It really, really was. So I'm impressed with this Miami Dolphins team. The hire of Mike McDaniels is looking to be a right hire, and it's looking like it was the right decision by the Miami Dolphins organization. Tua is not an elite quarterback yet, but Tua is having a decent season so far. So far this season, Tua got eight touchdowns, just two interceptions, 
He has 925 passing yards. He's completing 71% of his passes. So Tua has been impressive so far this season. He's been impressive with these weapons and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and and then you got Mike Gusecki at tight end. And then in the backfield, you got Edmonds and Mozart. So can't say enough about this Miami Dolphins team. They're legit in the AFC. Everybody want to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys know sports. Now, another thing that everyone's talking about in this game was Tua's injury when he left the game and he also came back into the game. Now, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniels, he said that Tua was dealing with a back injury, and that's why Tua was, you know, wobbly and so forth when he, when he was on the field. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike McDaniels is not telling the truth. Tua had a concussion. Let's be very, very clear about that. He had a concussion, but here's the situation. The Miami Dolphins entering this game, they were 2-0 on the season. This is an AFC East matchup against the Buffalo Bills, your arch rivals in your division. You're trying to prove that you are a legit contender in the AFC East, in the AFC, in the NFL overall. It's a marquee matchup in Miami. Crowds going crazy between two elite teams and watching two elite teams. I believe Tua was concussed. I don't want to hear nothing about no back injury. I believe he had a concussion. Because Tua got up and then fell back down and couldn't even stay in the huddle. It was clear to me that Tua was concussed. And they said he had a back injury. And I know back injuries are serious. But that brother was concussed. And they didn't want to lose their starting quarterback in this marquee matchup. The NFLPA, they already said that they're going to investigate the concussion protocol regarding Tua re-entering the game. Miami says it was a back injury. That's what Mike McDaniel said. I don't believe him. I think it's their starting quarterback. you rather have Tua than Teddy Bridgewater. Josh Allen is out there. Stephon Diggs is out there. You know you need your starting quarterback in order to pull out this victory over the Buffalo Bills. All that taken into consideration, I think that Tua was concussed. If if, if 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 this was week 16 at Miami, let's just say they were 10 and four, whatever the case may be, and, and this was a game that they needed but didn't have to have, I don't think you see Tua back in the game. I really don't. I think because this is a game early in the season where you're trying to prove that you are a legit contender in the AFC East and in the AFC overall, that's why Tua came back onto the field. He was concussed. I'm sorry, Mike McDaniels. I don't believe you. I don't believe the Miami Dolphins organization whatsoever. They brought Tua back into this game because of the magnitude of this game and them needing to be able to win this game. Now, when we talk about which of these teams should be the favorites in the AFC East moving forward, that is hard for me to answer because the Miami Dolphins are legit, but I'm not going to give up on the Buffalo Bills yet. I saw in week one, the Buffalo Bills, they put a beat down on the defending Super Bowl champs in the L.A. Rams. The Buffalo Bills dominated that game from start to finish. And then in week two, I saw the Buffalo Bills manhandle the Tennessee Titans. Now, I don't have many expectations for the Tennessee Titans this year. But the, nevertheless, the Buffalo Bills, they completely dominated that game 
from start to finish. So I'm not ready to say that the Miami Dolphins are the favorites in the AFC East moving forward. What I am ready to say is the Miami Dolphins are on the same level as the Buffalo Bills. But I'm not ready to just say that the Miami Dolphins are the favorites in the AFC East moving forward because I still believe in that my, that Buffalo Bills team. I really, really do. Josh Allen has been playing at an elite level so far this season. I mean, look at his numbers so far this season. Josh Allen, he has nine touchdowns, two interceptions, and those two interceptions were in week one. He's thrown for 1,014 passing yards. He's completed 71% of his passes so far this season. So Josh Allen has, has been amazing. He's been amazing this year so far. And the combination of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs is the best quarterback and receiver combination that we have right now in the NFL. So I'm not ready to say that the Miami Dolphins are the favorites in the AFC East moving forward, but they are on the same level as the Buffalo Bills, and they compete with the Buffalo Bills on any neutral field. Everybody go and follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Let's transition to another matchup on Sunday afternoon. This matchup took place in the Meadowlands between the Bengals and the Jets. The Cincinnati Bengals beat the Jets 27-12. This was the Bengals' first win of the season. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow, he went 23 of 36. He threw for 275 passing yards, three touchdowns. Tyler Boyd had a sensational game. He had four receptions, 105 receiving yards, one touchdown for the Jets. Joe Flacco, he had a rough afternoon. He went 28 of 52. He threw for 285 passing yards, two interceptions. In this game, my biggest takeaway was after looking at social media, because y'all know that I am friends and family with a lot of people from Cincinnati because I live in Cincinnati and I grew up in the Cincinnati area and I'm still here at this moment. I saw a lot of Bengal fans celebrating this win over the New York Jets. And I started thinking to myself, why in the hell are Bengal fans celebrating a win over the New York Jets? Haven't the Bengals elevated to a certain standard to where you're not celebrating wins over the Jets? I don't celebrate wins over the Lions or the Bears. The Packers are expected to beat the Lions and the Bears. The Cincinnati Bengals, with all the talent, that the Bengals have. You got Joe Burrow at quarterback, one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. You got Jamar Chase, a top five receiver in the NFL. You got T. Higgins, a young receiver on your team. You got Tyler Boyd, one of the best slot receivers that we have in the NFL. You got Joe Mixon in the backfield, an elite running back in the NFL. This Bengals team is so talented. Why are y'all celebrating wins over the New York Jets? That is to be expected. The first two weeks of the season, the Bengals, they came up short against the Steelers and against the Cowboys. Those are two games that the Bengals were expected to win. To start the season, I had the Bengals starting off the season 3-0. I had the Bengals starting off the season 3-0 because they were going up against a team in the Pittsburgh Steelers who don't have a quarterback. And then in week two, they went up against the Dallas Cowboys without Dak Prescott. And then they played the Jets in week three. 
You are fresh off a Super Bowl appearance. The first two weeks of the season, the Bengals' offensive line, they gave up 13 sacks. 13 sacks. So they were awful in the first two weeks. This game was a game for the Bengals to bounce back and have a bounce-back performance. But it's not a game that Bengal fans should be celebrating because it came against an opponent who is an inferior opponent compared to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals didn't beat the Bills. They didn't beat the Dolphins. They didn't beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They beat the New York Jets. We all expected the Bengals to bounce back and beat the New York Jets. After the Bengals lost in Dallas to the Cowboys in week two, the best news for Bengal fans and for the Bengals organization was that they had the New York Jets in week three. That was the best news for Bengal fans and the Bengals organization. Go and thank the NFL for the schedule. Go and thank the NFL because the Bengals, they, I said it. I said, man, Bengals 0-2. They got, oh, in week four, they got the Dolphins. Coming into town, they hot. But then I look at the schedule. I said, "Oh, they got the Jets. They'll beat the Jets. They'll beat. They'll beat the Jets and improve the one and two. Because I said, if they don't, if they don't beat the Jets, they're going. There's a great possibility that the first quarter of the season, the Bengals could start off the season zero and four. Seriously. And then here's the crazy thing: after the Dolphins game on, on Thursday, Bengals are at Ravens in Week Five. They're at Saints in Week Six. So I, I, I was looking down the road. I said, man, Bengals could lose week four against the Dolphins, could lose week five to the Ravens, week six against the Saints. They could start off the season 0-6. But then I saw they played the Jets in week three. I said, oh, man, thank the NFL for that one. Bengals fans got to thank the NFL for that one. They could have easily started the season 0-6. But they got the win over the Jets. And I want to give the Bengals offensive line some credit because in this game, for the most part, they did protect Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was only sacked twice in this game. That's been that's better than what it's been recently because the first two weeks of the season, Joe Burrow was sacked 13 times. That's an improvement. And I said that that Bengals offensive line, they got to do better. I, I mean, they got to do better. And in free agency, remember, the Bengals signed Lionel Collins, former tackle in Dallas. They brought in Ted Karras. They brought in Alex Kappa. They still had Jonah Williams at left tackle. And they had Cordell Volson at guard. But he's a rookie. So this is his first NFL season. That offensive line, they were under a lot of scrutiny in the first two weeks, giving up 13 sacks. But they only gave up two sacks against the Jets. So I'm excited for Thursday night's matchup because – they're going to be tested by that front seven by the Miami Dolphins. They're going to be tested. So I, I saw Bengal fans going crazy over this week three win over the Jets, and I had to let Bengal fans know, pump the brakes. It's the New York Jets. Beat the Miami Dolphins Thursday night in primetime at Paycar Stadium and improve to 2-2 two and two on the season. And then come talk to me. Come talk to me. Come let, And then we can talk about whether or not the Bengals are – back on the right track but beating a jets team that's 
probably going to be the worst team in the NFL by season's end is not impressive to me. It's not impressive to me. I need to see more from the Bengals. I need to see more. Defensively, they held Joe Flacco in check. And the Jets in this game, they didn't even get into the end zone. They were all field goals by the Jets. So defensively, the Bengals did a great job, but it was against the Jets. Now, against the Dolphins, if Tua plays and you got to go up against Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Edmonds, Mozart, if the Bengals defense can hold that Dolphins team in check and hold them to under 21 points, then I would be impressed with the Bengals defense. The first three weeks of the season, the Bengals, luckily, They've went up against inferior quarterbacks. Week one, you go up against Mitchell Trubisky. Come on now. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky is lucky to have a job at this moment. And we're going to see as the season goes along whether or not Mitchell Trubisky will even keep his job in Pittsburgh. Week two, you go up against Cooper Rush, not Dak Prescott. Week three, you go up against Joe Flacco, not Zach Wilson. Now, Joe Flacco is a veteran quarterback who's won a Super Bowl, but Joe Flacco is past his prime. So. Bengals are one and two on the season, but luckily for the Bengals, they went up against inferior quarterbacks. Tua is going to be the best quarterback that they have played against Thursday night when they take the field. And in, in week five, they got Lamar Jackson. And then week six, they got Jameis Winston. But he's inconsistent. But we're going to see, we're going to get a chance to see what this Bengals defense is really made of Thursday night against the Miami Dolphins. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. He's a sports anchor reporter at WPBF 25 News in West Palm Beach. He is Yanni Caracas. Hey, Yanni, how you doing tonight? I'm well. What's going on? Nothing much, man. I'm just sitting here talking some sports, man. And, and you know, ready to preview this Dolphins-Bengals matchup for Thursday night at Paycar Stadium. I know you're excited about the Dolphins. Yeah, man. It's been cool. I was at their uh, media availability today. They didn't have practice. They had a little walkthrough. They're actually leaving for Cincy tomorrow. But uh, there's some buzz right now. It's been a while since the Dolphins have been relevant, uh, albeit it's only been three weeks. There's, you know, all of a sudden they're popping up on everyone's power rankings and uh, and so forth. And after those three big wins, especially over uh, Buffalo and Baltimore, they're, they're in the conversation now and, and on the national stage for Thursday Night Football. For sure, for sure, Yanni. So, you know, I'm here in Cincinnati. I'm not a Bengals fan, though. I'm a Packers fan, but I am here in Cincinnati. And so before we actually preview Dolphins-Bengals, let's go back to the offseason for the Miami Dolphins, Yanni. They traded for Tyreek Hill. They signed Cedric Wilson in free agency. They also brought in Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mozart to solidify that backfield. They brought in first-year head coach Mike McDaniel from San Francisco, and they still got Jalen Waddle. And they had Tua at the helm as well. So realistically, Yanni, what was your expect expectations for the Dolphins team heading into the season? I loved all their additions to their roster, specifically Tyreek Hill. I think you get a game breaker like that, even though you have to give up a lot of draft capital, you do it. Mike McDaniel has joked that when Chris Greer, the GM, called him and was like, hey, we, we are considering doing this. He just said, do it, do it. Whatever they want, ask for it, do it, do it. You got to do it. And Tyreek has proven to be just that. Edmonds and Mostert, 
slowly coming along. The running game hasn't really been established quite yet, uh, but I liked those. Cedric Wilson was pretty good in Dallas, slotted to be their three. Um, but yeah, the big question mark was Mike McDaniel, a head coach, a guy who never had been a head coach, a guy who had never called plays because he was under Kyle Shanahan who called the plays in San Francisco. So McDaniel and the coaching cycle, you may recall, there was, as always, seven or eight jobs open. He didn't interview anywhere else. So he was sort of a a wild card in the coaching hire and has a much different approach than Brian Flores, but has proven to be a perfect match so far with Tua. Once the Dolphins made their offseason moves, the only question mark was Tua. Prior to the season, Tua had 27 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 4,467 yards passing, completing 64 and 68% of his passes in 2020 and 2021, respectively. How did you feel about Tua heading into the season as the Dolphins franchise quarterback? That's a great question. And Tua is so polarizing, right? There's the Tua non-factor of people who, who love him. And then there's people who think he stinks. I would say I was lukewarm on Tua entering this season, despite the fact that he had really good numbers in terms of completion percentage and in winning. Like yeah. the guy has proven to be a winner, obviously in college and even in his brief career in the NFL. But I wouldn't say I was necessarily sold on him as a bona fide quarterback star. But now in this offense with Mike McDaniel, similar to what you saw in San Francisco, maybe the 49ers don't love Jimmy Garoppolo, but the offense is catered towards someone that if he's serviceable and accurate and gets the ball out quickly, they can succeed. So I think with McDaniel, with Hill and Waddle, and with uh, the approach they have offensively, Tua can thrive. I don't think he's a guy that if you pluck him and put him somewhere on an average roster with an average team, he's going to lead them to an AFC championship or an AFC championship like an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or a Pat Mahomes. But I think put in the right situation, which he's in now, he can thrive. Yeah, because that was my biggest issue with Tua in, in the first few years of his career, Yanni. I, I didn't like the fact that in years prior, you know, Brian Flores, he used to you know, move to an in and out of the lineup. There were times where Ryan Fitzpatrick would close games. And, and for me, that was telling because I'm like, does he not trust Tua in pivotal moments in games? So I, I had my questions about that. I actually like Brian Flores. I know he got up getting fired. I don't believe he, he deserved to be fired, but I actually like Brian Flores. But I did think that the Miami Dolphins organization, they hit a home run hiring Mike McDaniel. They really, really did. And I like the way that McDaniel embraced Tua mm -hmm. as soon as he got the job in Miami. And when it comes to Mike McDaniel overall, like you mentioned earlier, he's from that Kyle Shanahan, you know, coaching staff. How do you feel about the job McDaniel has done so far? And what were your expectations heading into the season for the first year head coach? So when I talked to him and interviewed him the day he was introduced, I was like, because everyone says such a really, you know, went to Yale, really bright guy, players love him, eccentric dude. All of those things are true. He's much different. He's very dry and sarcastic. He doesn't mind going back and forth with the media. He's not your traditional hard, yelling, strict, only football head coach. He's got you know a personality to him and he's slight in build the question was always all right he's cool and he's funny and his players like him but what happens when they have a three-game losing streak and you know crap hits the fans so to speak um he hasn't been in that situation yet but what i think he's done is earned the respect quickly of his players and they really like him i mean tua has said repeatedly everything is different now 
Now, it's no secret he and Brian Flores did not have a great relationship, but he says everything's different now. Even small things like uh, the practice player of the day in training camp got to be the DJ the next day at practice. He would put on his playlist, things like that, that he's really had. Mike McDaniel makes players believe in themselves, and his whole thing is, I want to put you in positions to succeed, and the players appreciate that. In terms of X's and O's, I mean, they came back in the Ravens game. They won a close game with Buffalo in a chaotic couple minutes. You saw the punt go off the guy's butt for a safety. And then they, so he's been in some tenuous moments already and thrived so far. Is it going to be smooth sailing the whole way? Probably be some hiccups or two. But if you look at their schedule, the Baltimore, Buffalo, Cincinnati, these three games, that's as tough as it gets. So it, it gets softer in the middle of the season. So I had the Dolphins making the playoffs before the year. I think obviously now it's easy to say they, they will because they're 3-0. and But I would say he's exceeded expectations. For a head coach, what's better than going 3-0? and Because then you're getting the buy-in that, that whatever you're saying is paying off. Agreed. I, I like the job that McDaniel has done so far with Tua. It seems like McDaniel is a better fit for Tua than Brian Flores was. And honestly, like I said earlier, Yanni, I, I actually like Brian Flores as a coach. There were a lot of reports out of Miami over the last two years, you know, that the Miami Dolphins, they were interested in Deshaun Watson. And, you know, on the field, it is undeniable how great of a quarterback Deshaun Watson is. And I said he would have been an upgrade over Tua. Yeah, I had my questions about Tua because I said Tua doesn't have great arm strength. Uh, he mm -hmm. has to be accurate and he has to basically anticipate you know his throws before he actually throws the ball because he doesn't have great arm strength he doesn't fit the ball into tight windows but so far again this season he's been impressive he has eight touchdowns two interceptions 925 passing yards but I, I, I agree with you about the job that McDaniel has done because I think Tua is in a situation where he knows that his coach trusts mm, him yeah so I have to I have to give a lot of credit to the Miami Dolphins organization for hiring Mike McDaniel. He was the perfect coach for Tua, Tiger Valoa. Yeah, he's really instilled the confidence in Tua. And you know who else has is Tyreek Hill because Tyreek came out in training camp and said Tua throws the most catchable ball. Um, and everyone's like, you just played with Patrick Mahomes. But even if he meant it or didn't mean it, the confidence he instilled in Tua and the confidence that Mike McDaniel instilled in him has really helped Tua because I think he was thinking too much under Brian Flores and they really did limit what he was going to do as a quarterback. You mentioned Fitzpatrick coming in his, his first year and then last year he had some injuries. Jacoby Brissett was coming in. So I think it's a perfect marriage with, with McDaniel and Tua. We talk about the arm strength, but he's he's connected on some deep throws this year. And he had a bullet to River Ray, uh, Craycraft for a touchdown last week. So some of the throws he gets, he gets panned for. People saying tight windows and deep throws. He's proven some of the doubters wrong on that. I still agree. He's not going to flick the wrist like Justin Herbert right. and go 40 yards on a, on a roll. Right. He is proving some doubters wrong with some of that stuff. Yeah, and, and honestly, though, Yanni, I believe that was a little bit of, hey, I'm here with Tua now in Miami. I gotta, I gotta pump up my new quarterback from Tyreek. I'm not taking nothing away from Tua, but we know that Patrick Mahomes yeah. is a great quarterback in his own right, and so that was, I think that was a little bit of of Tyreek throwing shade at Patrick Mahomes a little bit because he's no longer in Kansas City, and, and so he had to pump up Tua as well. But let's talk about the 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 team so far this season and and the impressive win that they had over the Buffalo Bills Sunday. They beat the Bills 21 to 19. And coming into the season, Yanni, I had 
the Buffalo Bills running away with the AFC East. Now, like you, I had the Dolphins as a wild card team in the AFC, but I had the Bills winning the AFC East overall. But the Dolphins, they beat the Bills 21 to 19 in Miami on Sunday afternoon. So what was your biggest takeaway from that game that the Dolphins won on Sunday afternoon over the Bills? It was a statistical aberration. The Bills had possession of the ball for 40 of the 60 minutes. The uh, Dolphins defenders played 69 snaps, which is like a game and a half. So if you look at the box score, the Bills had all these yards, but they didn't score many points. It doesn't make sense. But a huge play in that first quarter, the Bills go down, score on their opening drive, and they look like, all right, they're a juggernaut. And if you follow the Bills in recent years, they do really, when they're ahead, they sort of steamroll you. But they haven't fared really well in close games. Dolphins get a strip sack. They score moments later, and it's 7-7, and that sort of calms things down. Had the had that not happened and the Bills gone up 14-0, it maybe could have gone away with them. A yeah. uh, couple factors in this game. The... Heat was impacting the Bills tremendously. I was at the game. It was humid in South Florida, as it always is in September. And obviously the Bills were banged up in the secondary. But it's not like the Dolphins' offense was doing to Buffalo what they did to Baltimore. Like Tyreek Hill had a modest day. Jalen Waddell had the one big catch. But the Dolphins played well situationally. When push comes to shove, they stopped Josh Allen on fourth down at the two-minute mark. And then in the final seconds, obviously, they ran out of time. So the Dolphins, with a new head coach, played better situationally than than the Bills, who have more of an established coach. But I still think at the end of the day, a great win. I still think the Bills win the division. They're the best team in the AFC. But they had won seven straight against Miami entering this. That was a game Miami needed to prove. Like so many years, the Patriots ran the division. Of late, it's been the Bills. Can they be there? In December, if they're a game back of the Bills and they're going to Buffalo, like do those games matter? Because they haven't for this franchise in many years. Yeah, I agree with you. And You look at the statistical numbers in this game. To your point, Yanni, the Bills, they won every major statistical category. The Bills had more first downs than the Dolphins. The Bills were better on third down efficiency. The Bills had more rushing yards than the Dolphins. The Bills had more passing yards, total yards than the Dolphins. They dominated time of possession. So I, I looked at the game, and I said watching the game, though, I thought defensively that was how the Miami Dolphins won the game. I thought their offense, to your point, they their offense, they didn't light it up in week three like they did in week two against the Ravens. You know, Tua didn't even have over 200 yards passing. In this right. game. So I thought defensively, they did a great job. They are led by Josh Boyer. That's the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. Mm -hmm. I thought they did a great job at applying pressure on Josh Allen. They got to Josh Allen four times in this game. So I thought defense, the defense is what helped them win this game because anytime you can hold a Josh Allen-led offense to under 20 points, I would call that a great day. Absolutely. And, you know, Stefan Diggs didn't have that great of a day. Um, people forget that the Dolphins offense gets a lot of attention because of Tua and the addition of Hill and, of course, Waddle. But the Dolphins defense is what more or less won them nine games last year. You forget they go nine and eight, um, that one seven-game winning streak last year. And it was the defense that was excellent. So they played great against Buffalo, and they've shown they can win with – I mean, in, in Baltimore – it was the offense winning that game in the end. It was the defense winning it against the Bills. So they're getting characteristics of a good team. They're winning close games. They're finding a way to win. They're doing well in the division, obviously, 2-0 with wins over the Pats and Bills. So 
Uh, they're in a pretty good position now. And one Thursday would be huge for them over the Bengals, too. He's a sports anchor and reporter at WPBF 25 News in West Palm Beach. He is Johnny Caracas. He is joining us tonight on Wise Guys on the Worldwide Sports Network. Now, Yanni, in this game, Tua went down with an apparent concussion and got up dizzy and seemed like he was concussed. Head coach Mike McDaniel said that Tua looked wobbly because of a lower back injury. Did you have an issue with Tua coming back into the game when it was obvious that something more serious was going on and it looked to be a head injury? Did you have an issue with that? Yeah, I mean, I was sitting in the press box and I watched him stumble to his feet as he got up and you saw the replay of him hitting his head. And he walks, leaves the game, and you're like, all right, he's in the concussion protocol. There's zero chance he's coming back. Agreed. Then at halftime, we see him running out. The Dolphins announce to a uh, tongue of a low, uh, questionable to return head injury. So you're like, all right, he's done. Teddy Bridgewater finishes the half. Um, and then second half during halftime, he's pumping up the crowd. He's throwing with uh, Mike Gusecki, as he always does. And then all of a sudden, he comes back in. And so – one of the reporters, I think it was Ian Rappaport, tweeted out, my understanding, it was a back injury and not a head injury. And we're like, all right, that sounds like BS. Yeah. Through this week, they're saying he's on the injury report because of his back and not a back. And they mentioned an ankle, but not the head. Um, they said he cleared concussion protocol. Obviously, now the NFL rules mandate that you have like a non-team employee evaluate you. Yeah. So. Unless something nefarious was happening there with his concussion protocol, I guess he passed it. He claims that when he sort of stumbled, that was his like a back spasm and not him trying to regain his stability from a concussion. So as it stands now, and they just put out their most recent injury report in the last half hour, he's questionable to play. He was limited today, but he said he expects to play versus the Bengals and that it's the back and it's not the head. So Sort of a weird thing for sure, but unless someone really gets to the bottom of his concussion protocol and what happened down there at halftime, I guess no one really knows for sure. And I think the NFL PA, I think they did say they were going to investigate this. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, Yanni, I, I'm going to be straightforward with you. I don't believe that he's dealing with any kind of back injury. I believe he was concussed. What mm -hmm. I believe happened was this is a, a, a major game that the Dolphins are in. It's an AFC East battle going up against your division rival in the buffalo bills you're two and oh on the season yeah this game could have major playoff implications as we go through the season so i believe that the dolphins they, they, they knew that he had uh he was concussed and had a major head injury i believe that i don't think he had a back injury that's just my personal opinion i don't think they're really telling the truth i'm just be honest but nevertheless he did play did finish the game and we want to a healthy. I want to make, I do want him healthy. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with what you're saying. He seemed with it after the game in his press conference. And then again today, in other words, he wasn't loopy. He wasn't, but yeah, it was a weird turn of events for sure. Because no one, there was no play where he, where you're like, oh, he hurt his back too. So it was always right. like, it was like the do my dog ate my homework. It was just like a random excuse. Like your back, what? And then he said, oh, on a QB sneak or some other play, I forgot what it was, he hurt his back. But that was a weird turn of events. But if you're a Dolphin fan, you're hoping he's out there Thursday, which he says he's going to be. Um, and then, you know, on short rest, too. Every player in the league will tell you, like, it is not normal to play a, f a football game the way they do, you know, four days after finishing one. Agreed. For sure. But when I saw that video, Yanni, I said two was done. That's what I, yeah. when I when I saw that video, you know, on Twitter, things get around real quick. 
Oh yeah, in these NFL games. When I saw that that video, I said, "Oh, two is done. Sit this one out, bro." I said, "Sit this, <laughs> this one out. I want you to be, you know, healthy and good to go the rest of the season. You are not going to be back in this football game." And I was thinking that, okay, it's a great chance that the Bills are going to win this game because Bridgewater is going to have to come in, right? And Bridgewater, he's a backup for a reason. So I, I said, "Man, advantage Bills," and hopefully Tua can get well soon. And then I saw him back on the field in the second half, and I'm like, "What?" Like. Yeah. I was confused. I'm like, man, what? And that, that video, I, it was scary. I, yeah. I saw it. I'm like, man, he's wobbly. What? He got up and fell back down. I'm like, no, no. Yep. But um, about Tua, before we move on, scale one to 10, Yanni, how do you feel about Tua's performance so far this season? In terms of a Tua scale, like him versus the league or as a Tua scale, I'd give him a 8.5 or a nine. I think he's been much better than anticipated or better than what he was last year. Obviously, we understand now he has more weapons and he has the better offensive scheme. But what he did in Baltimore, they were down three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. He scored four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, six for the day, threw for 469. No one in the franchise has thrown for six touchdowns besides Dan Marino and and uh, Brian Greasy. So um, unbelievable game. And then while his stats weren't incredible in Buffalo, he did enough. He led that scoring drive in the fourth quarter. Um, and he threw a couple picks in that Ravens game, but he's protected the football mainly. I think he's been. I think he's been. I mean, if you ask Mike McDaniel, he would he would say that um, he's done everything he's been asked to do, and and so I think it's been a, a huge bright spot for the Dolphins this year. They were trailing thirty five to fourteen heading into the fourth quarter. Dolphins outscored the Ravens twenty eight to three in the fourth quarter. I was impressed. I thought that game was over. So. That was a great come-from-behind win for the Miami Dolphins. Now, let's switch gears to the defense, Yanni. Defensively, they are led by Josh Boyer. They held this elite Bills offense to under 20 points. They did give up 38 to Lamar Jackson in Week 2. But overall, I believe it's been pretty impressive for this Miami Dolphins defense to give up less than 20 points in two out of the three games so far this season. How do you feel about the Dolphins' defense so far in three games? Yeah, I mean, I think they would tell you that they gave up way too many points against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but that happens a lot when you face Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. They really handled the Patriots in week one, holding Buffalo to 17 points. Uh, I'm sorry, was it 19 points? 19, 19, yeah. Is super impressive, and they have a lot of talent. I mean, you look at Xavier Howard, top five cornerback in the league. Second-year safety, Javon Holland, is emerging as a, as a star in this league. You know, they're getting to the quarterback. Uh, Jalen Phillips out of Miami, second-year players, having a good year. They have a lot of talent defensively. Melvin Ingram's been here five minutes, right? This is his first year. The Dolphins here is two fumble recoveries. Yeah. Um, so they come at you with a lot of guys. And Josh Boyer, who comes from the Belichick tree in New England, he's done a really good job. And they've been clutch. If you can cause turnovers, a perfect – situation for the Dolphins defense no one cares about giving up yards it's points right you can go up and down the field all day if you don't score it doesn't matter so correct right. they'll, they'll take 400 plus yards that the Bills drove on them and take those 19 points all day long so they've been they've been solid so far now let's look ahead to Thursday night's primetime matchup between the Dolphins and Bengals right now Yanni the Bengals are four point favorites mm -hmm. and they are fresh off a 27 to 12 win over the New York Jets in week two. What are your expectations for this game 
Thursday night in primetime. I haven't seen a lot of the Bengals so far in person just because I think they've been playing pretty much at the same time as the Dolphins the last few weeks. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I watched their incredible run to the Super Bowl last year and, and know all the talent they have. Uh, I think I heard you right before I come on saying that their resume isn't all that great. They're one and two and they beat the Jets. So we yeah. don't know how good they are at this point. I know they had a roughed up offensive line, but they're at home, prime time, short week. To his, so I think the line makes sense that they're favored by whatever it is, three points, three and a half. Miami has like this incredible magic right now that, that things are just going their way. So I would not be surprised if they go into Cincinnati and win this game. They're tired from playing Sunday, but as is the case for all Thursday games, the other team played the previous Sunday too. So yeah. uh, I give the Dolphins a really good shot, assuming Tua plays on Thursday night. Yeah, see, I also think the... You know, it's pros and cons to playing these Thursday nights games, right? The cons is you only get three days off because you just played on Sunday the previous week. But the pros are, Yanni, you get 10 days of rest. You don't have to play again until the following Sunday. So that'll be good for the Bengals and the Dolphins, you know, both as they as we look ahead in the season for weeks to come as well. So I look at this matchup, and I'm excited about it, Yanni. I got to be honest because – for the Bengals, I think this is their biggest game of the season so far. I mean, the first three weeks of the season, the Bengals had the Steelers. They don't have a quarterback. Week two, they went up against Cooper Rush, not Dak Prescott. And then and they, and in week three, they went up against the New York Jets, for crying out loud. Neither, none of those three teams are playoff teams, in my opinion. And so they haven't faced a caliber of quarterback like mm -hmm. Tua. Tua will be the best quarterback that the Bengals' defense has faced so far this season. That's why I wasn't really impressed with the Bengals beating up on the Jets because it's Joe right. Flacco. He's past his prime. It's the Jets. <laughs> Come on, give me a break. Now you're going up against the Dolphins' elite offense. They got two receivers like Jalen Waddle, like Tyreek Hill. They got a nice running back by committee in Edmonds and Mozart in the backfield. And you got Jaseki at tight end. So I think this is the best offense that the Bengals defense has faced so far this season. It's going to be a great test for the Bengals defense going up against this Dolphins offense. Yeah, I think Miami uh, will score some points on Thursday. They didn't have a tremendous performance against the Bills offensively, but I think Tyreek Hill is eager to go against Eli Apple. He was talking junk to him already post-game on Sunday. I saw that. <laughs> and I actually asked, uh, I asked Tua about that today, and Tua, who really – keeps it close to the vest and doesn't really say much was actually like, yeah, Tyreek loves this stuff. He thrives off of it. And then he said, if, if Tyreek's on Eli one-on-one, -on -one, I'm going to throw it to Tyreek. So like, I feel like this is one of those, you know, all the players will tell you every game is the same. They prepare the same way, but obviously Tyreek Hills circled it on his calendar, uh, whether or not he knew they were even playing the Bengals before Sunday, no one even knows uh, because he acted surprised when when he was asked, did you know who yeah. you're playing on primetime Thursday? But what Mike McDaniel was saying today is, oh, yeah, our guys are tired and battling back from Sunday. But he's like, he mainly just excited to play again Thursday. I think I think this Dolphins team has a really good vibe right now. They're sort of buying into to their success in the process of winning these games. And so I, I don't think they're going to go to Cincinnati and be afraid, so to speak. And, and to, to your point, it's no fault of the Bengals who they've played. Like you play who's on your schedule, yeah. but this will be the best offense that they see by, by far. So if, 
if Mike McDaniel can be in the lab for these three days and design some cool play calls, I think they can get get some points on Cincinnati. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, I think I said the first three weeks of the season, the, the, the Bengals defensively, they haven't impressed me. I mean, they went up against Mitchell Trubisky. Week two, you go up against Cooper Rush. Week three, Joe Flacco. Come on, give me a break. So it's going to be a, a, a big-time test for that Bengals defense. Now let's switch gears and talk about the Dolphins offense. And you mentioned it earlier. So far, the offense hasn't rushed for over 100 yards yet this season. They got Chase Edmonds. They got Raheem Mozart. How important is it for this offense to implement a consistent rushing attack mm. to complement the passing attack featuring Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill? Yeah, it's huge because when McDaniel was in San Francisco, that was such a big part of their offense. And Edmonds, six carries, 21 yards. Raheem Mostert, eight for 11. I mean, their yards per carry was terrible, 2.4. Yeah. If they can establish a run and then create some play action and get some of that outside zone running to their benefit, that makes them even more dynamic. What I would actually like them to see is, and they did this, I don't know if it was preseason or maybe week one, give give Waddle and Hill some runs, you know, sort of like that jet sweep coming over from receiver yeah. um, to get them going. But, yeah, I think it's going to come, the running game. But, I mean, nowadays, unless you really – how many teams in the NFL are really truly committing to the run? You know, most of these teams are sort of committing to the run to enable the pass game. But like, I mean, you saw it with the Cowboys, I guess, last night. They've shown to have success. The, the running game hasn't even gotten going yet for the Dolphins, and they've had a lot of success offensively. So when that comes, they'll be even more dangerous. But McDaniel has proven to be a pretty creative play caller. So I'll expect them to use their their running backs creatively in the future. Absolutely, because I look at their offense, Yanni, and if you put eight and nine in the box against this Dolphins offense and you got one-on-one -on -one coverage with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, that's advantage Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't guard neither one of those receivers one-on-one. -on -one. So if they can establish the running game with Edmonds and Mozart, I believe it would take this offense to another level mm -hmm. and they could be an elite offense that could complement that defense that's been playing well in the first three games of the season. So I think it's important to be able to establish the running game if you might make Daniel and Tua because it's going to open up the passing game for your elite weapons in Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And the other wild card that has been interesting is, is Mike Gusecki because they franchise tagged him. And then he, I wouldn't say had a bad training camp, but he was playing with backups in spring, in spring training and training and preseason games. Um, because in that offense, McDaniel has, uh, like you saw with George Kittle, there's really a emphasis on tight ends that can block. Gasicki pretty much considers himself a receiver. He hasn't blocked much in his whole career. So he had a touchdown in the Ravens game, a leaping grab, just I think one catch last week. But how they use or integrate the tight end will be interesting because he's on the franchise tag, making whatever it is, $11 million. But they're trying to figure out, was he on the trading block? Are we keeping him? Are we going to profile him in the offense? So that'll be an interesting thing, how his role develops. He's a sports anchor and reporter at WPBF 25 News in West Palm Beach. He is Yanni. He is joining me tonight on Wise Guys. A couple more questions for you, Yanni. Talking about the offense before we switch gears. Is there an X factor for this Dolphins offense to be on the lookout for in this game. I would say it's Tyreek Hill because what he did in the Ravens game, he and Waddle both had two touchdowns, you know, 180 yards or whatever. 
if he can stretch the field, if you can have those long plays that does so much for the Dolphins, the chunk yardage. And in that Ravens game, I think he had 10 or he had 11 catches. If you can just get him the ball in space and let him run, he can be so dynamic as we've seen for so many years. So when Tyreek goes off, good things happen and it usually leads to wins. So um, he wasn't targeted all that much in the Bills game. Let's see, he had just two catches for 33 yards. So I expect him to have a rebound performance. And anytime you can get those big chunk plays or those big long touchdowns, that does so much for the offense. Uh, So you don't have to labor down the field, 10, 12 play drives to get it in the end zone. So, uh, and that was key for them in the Ravens game. So obviously my X factor is Hill, which isn't a creative answer, but it's what I think obviously makes their offense go. Similar to the Miami Dolphins, the Bengals, they have elite skill position players on their side of the ball as well. Yanni, they got Jamar Chase. He's a top five receiver in my eyes right now. You got Mm -hmm. T Higgins, one of the best young receivers in the NFL. You got Tyler Boyd, one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. And Joe Mixon, I believe when he's at his best, he's an elite running back. So what do you believe the game plan should be defensively for defensive coordinator Josh Boyer? Yeah, I think just try to be aggressive and try to get to to Burrow and try to sort of infiltrate that offensive line. The Dolphins have done a good job of getting to the quarterback, so I expect them to bring as much pressure as they can without being too vulnerable on the backside yeah. because of those dynamic receivers, obviously Chase being uh, most. If you think Xavier Howard can sort of lock up or as best as you can lock up a, a one receiver, um, then I think that le- allows the guys in front to, to maybe get to, yeah. to Burrow. Yeah, because I, I don't think he can necessarily lock him up. Right. I think he might be able to contain him. You know, contains a better word, yeah. Yeah, contain because I, I believe it's hard to lock up these elite receivers like Devontae Adams, like Jamar Chase, yeah. like Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill. It's hard to lock them up for a whole entire 60 minutes. But I think if, if, if he can contain Jamar Chase and give that Dolphins front seven time to get after Joe Burrow, I think that could be a recipe for success for Josh Boyer and this Miami Dolphins defense, Yanni, because I believe that. That Bengals offensive line, they have been the weakness of their team so far. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be the strength. You know, they brought in Ted Karras. They brought in Alex Kappa. They brought in Lyle Collins as well. That was supposed to be an upgrade in the offseason that they addressed. And in the first two weeks of the season, they gave up 13 sacks. They gave up two sacks in the matchup against the Jets in week two. So if that Dolphins front seven or even their front four without applying pressure – if they can get after Joe Burrow, I think that could be the a key in this matchup for the Dolphins to be able to come away with the win on Thursday night for sure. Yeah, and obviously turnovers are huge. The Dolphins have done a good job of, of creating turnovers, getting to the quarterback. They can get to Burrow, that'll be it. And we'll see, you know, offensive lines take time. I think we're seeing early and the, the league average and scoring is way down through three weeks. I think we're seeing, you know, with the three preseason weeks, in the abridged training camps, like teams are sort of feeling things out here in the first month of the season. No one's really clicking on all cylinders. You saw the Bucks and Packers 14 to 12, yeah. whatever the score of the Giants and Cowboys last night. So I think defenses are probably playing better earlier in the year than offenses. Yeah. Two more questions for you, Yanni. So they got the Bengals in week four. Week five, they are 
in New York against the Jets. Mm-hmm. Week six, they're home against the Vikings. Week seven, they're home against the Steelers. Week eight, they're at Lions, so they're in Detroit. I'm looking at their schedule. I mean, they got a bye in week 11. It's a possibility that going into that bye week, if they can beat the Bengals in this primetime matchup on Thursday night, and then week six, I think that matchup against the Vikings, that's a game that, you know, could be could go either way because I like the, the the Vikings offense a lot. I, I'm looking at their schedule. Going into that bye week in week 11, they could be 8-2. and two. Yeah, the, I told you this. This I think the Patriots, you know, aren't that great. That, that win, it's a division win, so you take it. But we looked at these first four games uh, before the season, and I was like, ah, if you can get two, that's a win. Yeah, if you can yeah. split, at minimum, they'll have three wins in these four. And if they get four... Like you said, this this portion of their schedule, Jets, Vikings, Steelers, Lions, Bears, Browns, Texans, Niners. I mean, the Vikings, I mean, I don't know if there's any playoff teams in, in there. I mean, the Lions are playing inspired football, but the Jets is, just, you assume a win. The Steelers are down. Yeah. The Browns, that's still going to be before. Watson is back. Texans yeah. are bad. Niners are sort of touch and go. And then they have a they have a stretch there that's pretty tough at Chargers. Let's say Herbert's healthy at Bills versus yeah. Packers. So that's yeah. a three, you know, that could be three losses in a row. But I think if you're projecting to get to 10 wins minimum for playoffs, I think they're in pretty good shape right now. Yeah, well, that, I think that whole four-week stretch, week 13 through week 16, they're at 49ers, at Chargers, at Bills, home against the Packers on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> That, those are four tough games. Those are all four losable games. I mean, yeah. it, really, it really is. Those are tough ones right there. That's why I believe you got to pile up these wins mm-hmm. in the early part of the season so you can leave yourself room for error later on in the season. And the AFC is tough. I mean, it's tough in the AFC. It's a lot of teams in the AFC that are good this year. So I think, again, it's going to be important for them to be able to win games like Thursday night against the Bengals and then beat teams like the Jets and then the Steelers and Lions and Bears and Browns. You got to take care of business against those teams. But, uh, yeah, so I think this is a big-time matchup. So, Yanni, it's prediction time. All right. So who wins this game Thursday night in Cincinnati? Dolphins, Bengals, who you got? All right, I'm actually going to go with the Dolphins, get a little road upset action. I think they will get to Burrow a little bit, disrupt him. I still think he'll he'll get his in some respects, but maybe first force a turnover too. And I think the Dolphins, assuming health for Tua, will be able to move the football on their defense. I think Tua will have a nice game, get it to Waddle and, and Hill, and I think the running game will, will sort of come to life a little bit. So um, I haven't seen the Bengals play a good – football game yet so uh i'm gonna go with the team that has the best schedule uh i'm sorry the best resume and and that's the dolphins in the nfl i like miami what's your score 27 23 now just so my cincinnati listeners you know family and friends just so they know yanni you you do respect the Bengals, right i I of course okay of course i guess so you could just say that's a homer pick since i cover the dolphins Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure that you do that you do respect the Bengals. Before you get out of here, can you let everyone know where they can you know follow you on social media? At WPBF underscore Yanni, which is Y-I-A-N-N-I. I'm on Facebook, Yanni Caracas, WPBF, and Instagram at Yanni Caracas. Check me out on TV at the on the ABC station here uh, in West Palm Beach. Now, will you be in town in Cincinnati for this matchup? No, no, I'm not traveling for this one. So 
I will not be there. I'm actually scheduled to be off Thursday, so I'm hoping to watch it on my couch. Oh, okay, okay, that's great. That <laughs> How is, about you? Yeah, I'll be I'll be down there. Actually, I'll be down there. I, I I don't think I'm going to go to the game, but I'll be down there. You know, you know, talking, you know, with some Bengal fans and 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 pre gaming, talking yeah. to some fans, getting some predictions from Bengal fans. And, and what's see, the weather like up there? It's actually going to be nice. Uh, I I looked at it earlier. It's going to be clear for Thursday's game. It's supposed to be Thursday. It's supposed to be 67. So it's going to be pretty okay. nice for for this matchup. So I'm looking forward to to a great AFC battle between Tua and Joe Burrow, Dolphins, Bengals. I'm looking forward to this matchup, Yanni. I got to be honest. I'm really looking looking forward to this because we got two teams that I believe are two true contenders in the yeah. AFC going up against each other. So I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game. Excited to watch. Obviously, the AFC champion Bengals. Uh, Dolphins are trying to get to that and hopefully mimic what Cincinnati did last year, which was a team that pretty much did nothing significant the year before and, you know, really put it together for one season and get all the way to a Super Bowl. He's a sports anchor and reporter at WPBF 25 News in West Palm Beach. He is Yanni Caracas. Yanni, I appreciate you joining me tonight on Wise Guys. I want to bring you on again sometime later on in the season, and I definitely would love to bring you back on and talk some Dolphins football. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. You have a good one. That was Yanni Caracas. He is down there in West Palm Beach. He covers the Miami Dolphins for WPBF 25 News. Great time having him on the show tonight. He's a reporter that covers the Miami Dolphins, so love having him on, talking some Miami Dolphins football, and I'm definitely excited for this matchup Thursday night. Dolphins, Bengals, 8-15 start on Amazon Prime. Going to be a big-time matchup at Paycar Stadium here in the Queen City. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Come to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Give me your prediction for Thursday night's matchup. Dolphins at Bengals. Let's talk about the game. Who do you believe will be? The player of the game, call it to the show, 513-203-8655. Also on the show on Thursday, I'm going to give everyone my NFL week four wise picks. So I'll be on the show giving my, my picks for NFL week four. Got some nice matchups in week four. We got the Patriots traveling to Lambeau Field to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Also, we got the Vikings and Saints. They are going to play 9.30 a.m. on NFL Network. I believe they're playing in London. Also, you got, you know, Bears at Giants, two teams who aren't contenders in the NFC, but those are teams that are young and trying to find their way. And then you got Jaguars, Eagles. Eagles having a sensational season so far. Jalen Hurts is an early NFL MVP candidate for for the Philadelphia Eagles. So got some nice matchups in the NFL in week four. But let's transition back to NFL Week 3, and let's talk about the matchup that took place Sunday night in Denver. The Denver Broncos beat the 49ers 11-10 to 10 for the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo went 18 of 29. He threw for 211 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. For the Broncos, Russell Wilson, he had a mediocre game. 
He went 20 of 33. He threw for 184 passing yards. The Denver offense, they had 261 passing yards. 3.7 yards per play is what they averaged for the game. Now, when it comes to the Denver Broncos, they are 2-1 and one on the season. But so far this season, the Broncos have struggled offensively. In week one, they only scored 16 points against the Seahawks. In week two, they scored 16 points again against the Houston Texans. And in week three, they only scored 11 points against the 49ers. They haven't scored 20 points or more yet this season. And when the Denver Broncos traded for Russell Wilson, they brought Russell Wilson in. They signed him to a new contract extension. So Russell Wilson got a, I believe it was a $245 million extension that he signed over five years. It was $245 million over five years, including $165 million in guarantees. So they brought in Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is getting older. Right now he is 33 years old. He'll be 34 November 29th. So it's a great possibility that Russell Wilson will retire a Denver Bronco. And so for Russell Wilson, they have high expectations for Russ. Russ in his career, he has 294 touchdowns, 88 interceptions. He has 37,000 passing yards, 802, 37,802 passing yards. He's completed 65% of his passes. And in his career, Russ only had a losing season one time in his career. One time, and that was last year. The Seattle Seahawks, in games that Russell Wilson started, they went 6-8. and eight. But that team was awful last year. In his career, Russell Wilson only had one losing season. He has a Super Bowl championship on his resume. He has, over the last six years, he has carried the Seattle Seahawks organization on his back. And so for the, in the first two games, it's been a struggle for Russell Wilson. And I think that Russ is trying to prove that he can be a pocket passer under Nathaniel Hackett. And I think in order for this Denver Broncos offense to flourish at an elite level, they need to allow Russ to get out the pocket and make moves with his legs in the open field. I think Russell Wilson is a decent pocket passer, but he's not a great pocket passer like Aaron Rodgers, like Tom Brady, like Patrick Mahomes. I think in order for Russ to be successful and at his best, I think you need to open up the offense and allow Russ to cook and get on the edges and make plays in the open field as a mobile quarterback. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen, but I think Russ can make plays on the move, and I believe he's a better passer on the move than he is in the pocket. So I think Nathaniel Hackett needs to open up this offense for Russ, allow him to get out on the edges, and not just sit in the pocket. I think in the first three weeks of the season, Russ has just been sitting in the pocket trying to throw the ball down the field in the pocket. I think in order for him to be successful and at his best, he needs to get out on the edges and try to make plays in the open field for the Denver Broncos offense 
to flourish at an elite level. I thought in this game against the 49ers, I thought in the fourth quarter when Russ had to have a drive for the Broncos to win this game, I thought on the possession in the fourth quarter when the Broncos scored, I thought Russ did a great job in the fourth quarter on that last possession, getting on in outside of the edges and making plays with his legs. So I thought that was key. I thought that was key in, 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 this, in this game. So I thought, you know, and I, and I think moving forward, I think Nathaniel Hackett needs to do a better job of making sure Russ can make throws on the run outside of the pocket. He's decent at throwing the ball in the pocket, but he's not elite at throwing the ball in the pocket. Also, looking at this game, I look at this Denver Broncos rushing attack. In this game, they had over 100 yards rushing, and Melvin Gordon had 12 carries for 26 yards. He had one touchdown. Javante Williams, he had 15 carries for 58 yards, averaged close to four yards per carry. I think if your offense is struggling to score points, I think one of the ways for your offense to get into a rhythm is to establish the rushing attack with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I think that would take some pressure off of Russell Wilson and that passing attack with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. So I think it's going to be key for Nathaniel Hackett to make sure that he's consistent with the running game and establishing the rushing attack for this Broncos offense. Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, I believe they are the keys for this Broncos offense to be successful. They did have over 100 yards rushing in this game, and I think that's going to be key for the Broncos moving forward. In week two, that Broncos offense, they had 149 rushing yards against the Texans. And then in week one, they had 103 rushing yards. So they've had over 100 yards rushing in the first three games of the season. I think that's a recipe for success for this Broncos offense to continue to flourish at an elite level. Don't get pass happy with Russell Wilson. I know Russ gets got all the money. I know Russ has Sierra as his wife. But the key for this Broncos offense to be successful is running the football with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I think the Broncos passing attack will feed off of their running backs production in this offense. And I think that's how they're going to be successful. So in Seattle, Russ had the luxury of handing the football off to Marshawn Lynch for majority of his career. And I thought that helped Russ run the offense effectively in Seattle. I think that's going to be the same recipe for Russ in Denver. Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon will help Russ in this offense play at an elite level. You got an elite quarterback in Russell Wilson. A lot of times, young coaches, they want their team to feed off of their elite quarterback. But I think for this Broncos offense to be successful, they have to feed off their rushing attack with Gordon and Williams not Russ, Russ Wilson. It's easy to get caught up in the mix when you got an elite quarterback like Russ on your team because the, my, the, the, the Broncos, they haven't had an elite quarterback since Peyton Manning. I mean, they've had Brock Osweiler, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke. They haven't had a true elite quarterback since Peyton Manning. So I understand if you're the Broncos organization, a head coach in his first year like Nathaniel Hackett, John Elway is in that organization as well. 
I understand that you might get pass happy and want to utilize Russell Wilson because you haven't had an elite quarterback to utilize since Peyton Manning. But you got to stay consistent with the running game. So that's going to be key for that Broncos offense. Now, watching this game for the 49ers and 49ers fans, to me, after watching this game, this game proved to me why Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch chose Trey Lance over Jimmy Garoppolo at the beginning of the season. Watching this game alone told me that's why they chose Trey Lance over Jimmy G. There were two plays in this game where I said 49ers can't win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback. In this game, Jimmy Garoppolo had a Dan Orlowski moment where the Broncos, they were deep in their own territory, and they were running a play where Garoppolo drops back the pass, and his back foot steps on the white paint safety for the 49ers. Two points awarded to the Broncos. That was a key pivotal play in this game. Then, in the fourth quarter, the 49ers, they were driving down the field. They had a chance to get into field goal range for Robbie Gold and kick a game-winning walk-off field goal. They would have won the game 13-11. to And Jimmy Garoppolo throws a late-game interception intended for Debo Samuel, and the Broncos ultimately won the game. I thought that was a turning point in the game. Even despite the safety that Jimmy G gave up, the 49ers still had an opportunity to win the game, but he threw an interception before their last possession, and that ultimately ended the game because they did get the ball back, but they were deep in their own territory at that point in the game. The clock was running out. They didn't have, they didn't have much time to make anything happen. And you look at the statistics for this game. The 49ers, they had more passing yards than the Broncos. They had more total yards than the Broncos. But the difference in the game was Russell Wilson made a play for his team late in the fourth quarter. And Jimmy Garoppolo showed once again why he is not the quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. He showed it again. We've seen this time and time again. We saw it in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Going into the fourth quarter of that game, the 49ers, they had a 10-point lead. They were beating the Chiefs 20-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. And then in the fourth quarter of that game, Patrick Mahomes outplayed Jimmy Garoppolo and Jimmy G. He missed Emmanuel Sanders on a game-winning touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter of that game. And then we saw it happen again in last year's NFC Championship game. Going into the fourth quarter of that game, the 49ers, they were leading the L.A. Rams, and they had outplayed the Rams for the first three quarters of that game. In that game, the 49ers, they had the lead over the Rams. They had led 17-7 going into the fourth quarter. 17-7. And they got outscored in the fourth quarter 13-0. And Matthew Stafford showed why he is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, and Jimmy Garoppolo showed why he is, at best, a backup quarterback. I, I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I think the 49ers are a better football team with Trey Lance than they are with Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, Trey Lance hasn't proven anything. I don't think Trey Lance is going to be worse than what Jimmy Garoppolo currently is. I don't think Trey Lance would have gave up a safety 
You have to know where you are and where you are on the football field at that time of the game. I don't think Trey Lance would have given up a safety, and I don't think Trey Lance would have threw an interception late in the game. Now, even if he does, Trey Lance is young, and his upside, to me, is better than what Jimmy G currently is at. I think Trey Lance's ceiling is higher as a quarterback than where Jimmy G is currently at right now. I think Jimmy Garoppolo has maxed out as a quarterback, and I don't believe he's going to get any better. I really, really don't. I think he is at his best, and this is what the 49ers have. So all those people that were saying that the 49ers are in a better position now with Trey Lance going down with a season-ending ankle injury, all those people that said the 49ers are in a better position now with Jimmy Garoppolo than they were with Trey Lance, now they're going to get a glimpse of what the 49ers have been over the last few years. We know from top to bottom, the 49ers have one of the best teams in the NFL. They have one of the most complete teams in the NFL. The one question that we have about the 49ers is whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo was going to mess it up. You got Debo Samuel, a top 10 receiver in the NFL. You got George Kittle, top two tight end in the NFL. You got Kyle Shanahan, an elite play caller and head coach in the NFL. Defensively, you got Fred Warner. You got Arik Armstead. You got Nick Bosa as well. So defensively, the, the 49ers are an elite defense. They have an elite team. The question mark for the 49ers is Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, this game showed me that Jimmy G is not ready for primetime action. And same story, different day for the 49ers. Another primetime game, and Jimmy G shows up and doesn't get it done for the 49ers. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Give me your thoughts on the Broncos 49ers matchup that took place Sunday night in Denver. Let's transition to the last topic of the night. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers as the Pittsburgh Steelers, they failed to one and two after losing last Thursday night to the Cleveland Browns, 29 to 10. For the Steelers, Mitchell Trubisky, he went 20 of 32. He threw for 207 passing yards. Mike Tomlin says he's not ready to make a quarterback change. So everyone's talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and whether or not they should make a quarterback change from Mitchell Trubisky to Kenny Pickett. And I'm of the belief that if you are Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's time to make a quarterback change. I think coming into the season, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they brought in Mitchell Trubisky, and I believe that Mike Tomlin promised Mitchell Trubisky that he's going to give him an opportunity to prove that he can be a starter again in the NFL. And Mike Tomlin is a man of his word. He's a head coach in the NFL that's well-respected by players. I think Mike Tomlin, even in training camp and in the preseason, he wanted to start Kenny Pickett, but he promised Mitchell Trubisky an opportunity to start and resurrect his career and show that he could be a quality starter in the NFL. Because you look at this Steelers team, they drafted Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. So once they drafted Kenny Pickett, the belief was this was going to be Kenny Pickett's team moving forward. He was going to be given the franchise, and they were going to be led by Kenny Pickett. They decided to bring in Mitchell Trubisky, and 
remember, Mitch Trubisky last year, he was a backup in Buffalo. He backed up Josh Allen last year, and he had started four previous years in Chicago. And in Chicago, he had 64 touchdowns, 38 interceptions, 10,000 passing yards for his career in Chicago, but he was inconsistent. And he could make plays with his legs. He's a mobile quarterback, but he's not your traditional pocket passer who can make plays and be your franchise quarterback. He's not a quarterback that you can build your team around. That's not Mitch Trubisky. So I thought that Mike Tomlin, going into the season, he promised Trubisky, he promised him an opportunity to start and lead this football team. And so far, the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, they've been awful. They've averaged 16 points per game. That's ranked 24th in the NFL. They've averaged 273 yards per game. That's ranked 28th in the NFL. They've averaged 4.7 yards per play. That's ranked 28th in the NFL. They've averaged 24 minutes time of possession per game. That's ranked 30th in the NFL. So Mitchell Trubisky so far this season, he hasn't been impressive. He got two touchdowns, one interception, 569 passing yards. He's completed. 60% of his passes. This Pittsburgh Steelers offense is hurting right now because they do not have a reliable quarterback to throw the football to. You got elite weapons in Chase Claypool, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson. They got elite weapons to throw the ball to. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, and then you got a nice running back in Najee Harris. Why is this Steelers offense struggling the way that they are so far this season. The answer is Mitchell Trubisky. If nothing else, you bring in the rookie and Kenny Pickett, see what he's got, see if he can perform at a high level. Of course, he's going to make mistakes. He's a rookie. All rookies make mistakes. But bring Kenny Pickett in. He can gain some experience as the year goes along. And then you'll have your franchise quarterback to build your team around as the years go along. I think the Steelers are wasting time with Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback. They're wasting time. You look at Kenny Pickett's career in college. He played for the Pittsburgh Panthers in the AAC. For his career, Pickett had 81 touchdowns, 32 interceptions. He completed 62% of his passes. He had 12,303 passing yards. In his career, I think if you are Mike Tomlin, you make the change at quarterback and you give Pickett a chance to start for your football team. I think the unknown is a better option for the Steelers than what they have right now currently with Mitchell Trubisky. I think with Mitchell Trubisky, you have a ceiling. We don't know what the ceiling is right now for Kenny Pickett. So bring in the rookie quarterback. He already played in that area because he went to the University of Pittsburgh. He's played in that stadium, formerly known as Heinz Field. It's now called Steelers Stadium. I still call it Heinz Field. He has history and experience playing at Heinz Field. So I don't believe that it's going to be too much for Kenny Pickett. I think he can handle the responsibilities as the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know they've had some greats at the quarterback position in Terry Bradshaw, in Ben Roethlisberger, 
So Kenny Pickett has some big shoes to fill, but we know Mitchell Trubisky is not going to fill those shoes. And I think your offense is limited with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. And I think the unknown and the upside with Kenny Pickett is better than what you currently have with Mitchell Trubisky. So I think they have to make a change at quarterback. I think this Steelers team is not a playoff team. I said that at the beginning of the season. I don't think they're a playoff team. You look at their schedule this week. They are home against the Jets. That could be a game where you could bring in Kenny Pickett because he's going up against the Jets. You can learn going up against the Jets. Jets, they're not leading league defense. That's a terrible defense. You can learn if you're a Kenny Pickett going up against the New York Jets. It'll be a great first game to start Kenny Pickett. Now, week five, they got the, they had the Bills. That's a loss. That's a loss with Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett, no matter who at quarterback. Week six, they're home against the Buccaneers. That's a loss, no matter who's at quarterback. Then week seven, they're at Miami. That's a loss. So they'll lose to the Bills, Buccaneers, and Dolphins, and Eagles. They got the Eagles week eight, too. All three of those games are losses, or four. All four of those games are losses for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bills, Bucks, Dolphins, Eagles, Steelers will lose all four of those games, no matter who's at quarterback, if it's Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. But at least with Kenny Pickett, he can gain some experience. What do you have to lose at this point? Because with Mitch Trubisky, let's just assume they beat the Jets. So they approved to two and two on the season. They're going to lose the next four. So they'll be two and six heading into their bye week in week nine. Steelers will be two and six. I'm, I'm saying it right now tonight, Tuesday, September the 27th. Going into week nine, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be two and six. They'll probably beat the Jets this weekend in Pittsburgh. But they'll lose to the Bills, Buccaneers, Dolphins, and Eagles. So they'll be two and six going into their bye week. Maybe you bring Kenny Pickett in after that, after the bye week. But you're already two and six. The team's already checked out on you. The team knows we're not going to the playoffs. You got elite weapons in Chase Claypool, in Johnson, in Pickens. So why would you not make this change now so Pickett can develop some chemistry with his three receivers? who are very good. I love the Steelers receiving core. Devontae Johnson, George Pickens, Chase Claypool, and then at tight end, you got Pat Firemuth as well, who's a reliable target at tight end. So I like the Steelers' weapons that they have on their team. So I think you have nothing to lose if you bring in the rookie and Kenny Pickett. Now, when it comes to my expectations for the Steelers the rest of the season, Steelers are not a playoff team in the AFC. I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. In the AFC North alone, they are the fourth best team in the AFC North. That's why I said the week one loss for the Bengals was so disappointing because it came against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers are the worst team in the AFC North, and I don't think they're a playoff team. There are teams right now who are 0-3 in the AFC that I still would say is better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Raiders. Raiders right now are 0-3. I think right now... If the Raiders and Steelers play on a neutral field, I think the Raiders would beat the Steelers. I really, really do. So I don't believe in the Steelers as a playoff team in the AFC. I don't believe in them overall in the AFC North. I think they're the fourth best team in the AFC North. And then here's the other thing. In week one, we saw how great TJ Watt is for this Pittsburgh Steelers defense. He means so much. For this Pittsburgh Steelers defense. This is since 2017. With TJ Watt in the lineup, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they are 52, 24, and 2. They allow 20 points per game and they 
get 3.5 sacks per game. That's with T.J. Watt. Without T.J. Watt, the Steelers are 0-5. They allow 26 points per game, and they only have 1.6 sacks per game. That's since 2017 with T.J. Watt compared to the Steelers without T.J. Watt. So T.J. Watt is their most impactful player defensively, and he's the best player probably on their team overall right now. So without T.J. Watt, they have no chance in hell at being a playoff team. And I know he's not done for the season, but by the time he comes back, they'll be out of the playoff hunt. Again, they'll probably beat the Jets in week four at home, but after that, they'll lose four straight. Four straight games, the Steelers are going to lose. They're against the Bills, Bucks, Dolphins, Eagles. Those are all four losses. So, again, I think it's smart to, to bring in Kenny Pickett, let him learn the Steelers' system. Matt Canada is their offensive coordinator. He can learn and establish a relationship with Matt Canada, and he can gain some experience in-game action so he can be the franchise quarterback for future seasons to come. I think they are wasting time with Mitchell Trubisky as their quarterback. I just think he's a placeholder who's not very good, and you're just holding up the growth of a Kenny Pickett. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. It's been a great show tonight. I had on Yanni Karasi. He is a reporter down there in Miami. He, he works for WPBF News 25 down there in Miami. So he's a, he's a big-time Miami Dolphins reporter who covers the team in Miami. So we had a great show tonight. This is going to be a great week of football. I mean, we got some big-time matchups in the NFL in week four. Let's look at some of these matchups. We got the Jets at Steelers. Titans at Colts, that's a big AFC South matchup in Indianapolis. Colts fresh off a big-time win over the Chiefs Sunday in Indianapolis. And then you got the Commanders at Cowboys. Cooper Rush won his third NFL start last night in New York over the Giants. Cowboys actually looking impressive in the absence of Dak Prescott. You got Bills, Ravens, big-time AFC matchup. They got major playoff implications. Cardinals, Panthers, Broncos, Raiders. Raiders are in a must-win situation. They're 0-3 on the season. Can't fall to 0-4. And in the Sunday night matchup, to cap it all off, Chiefs, Bucks, Mahomes, Brady, again, in Tampa. And before we move forward, I want to send my thoughts and prayers to everyone in Florida right now. There's a big hurricane that's approaching the state of Florida. So I want to send my thoughts and prayers to everyone in Florida right now. My sister lives down there in Tampa. And so I'm praying for everyone to be safe. We want we want everyone to be safe. I, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did evacuate the state. And so I think that game between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers, it's up in the air where they're going to play that game because of this hurricane and the damage that it can cause. So my thoughts and prayers are with the families in the state of Florida tonight. Again, we got a big-time matchup Thursday night. Dolphins, Bengals in the AFC. Major playoff implications for that game. So I'm going to be back on Thursday night previewing that game. But it's time to get out of here, and I'll be back on Thursday night. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore OH. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. 
I'm Trey Larkin signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Have a great night. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. Wise guys. These guys know sports. Wise guys. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys know sports. Sports. These guys know. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.